Welcome back to A King's Reign. I'm the host of this series, Andrew Schlecht. Before we get started today, we want to send out our thoughts to LeBron and his family. We hope Bronny has a speedy recovery. Today's episode looks back at LeBron and the Lakers bubble title. Joe Varden and Sam Amick combined covered the entirety of the NBA bubble. They look back on that wild, unique time in sports history. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A King's Reign. This is Joe Varden. I'm happy to be back with you again. And today is a little bit different of an episode because we're going to talk science projects. We're going to talk a three-month science project at Disney World, of all places. Uh, Some of you know it as The Bubble, and I'm joined here by my friend and colleague and bubble mate, Sam Amick. Sam, hello. Joe, good to be with you, sir. It's uh, great to have you here. The, The context of this, of course, is that there was a bubble. And at the end of it, uh, LeBron and the Lakers won the NBA championship. It was LeBron's fourth title. He became the first player ever uh, to lead three different teams to an NBA championship. We have never seen any circumstances like that before or since. But it's not just this episode isn't just about that. It isn't just about the Lakers uh, beating the heat on on the floor, of course. Sam, because this, as I've said, this was a once in a lifetime experience, which is saying something for you or me or or these NBA guys who have done and seen so much. When I say bubble or when someone says bubble to you and you know you were there, like what are the first things that come to mind? To be honest, not at the risk, Joe, of of going down a darker road, I think briefly we can, you know, contextualize it this way. This was a tough time for the world, right? And all of us were trying to get through that challenge. All of us were trying to figure out what COVID was. Uh, uh, most of us were impacted uh, in terms of loved ones. Uh, and, and you had these real life challenges staring you in the face. And then inevitably, uh, because the world is a capitalist you know, place, <laughs> you then had the idea that, okay, the NBA is one of those entities that is now going to try to figure out how does life go on? How do they open up revenue streams again uh, in the interest of not losing that season? And so, you know, as you kind of highlighted, uh, they come up with this plan, 22 teams, 13 from the West, um, nine from the East. And that differentiation was based on essentially the idea of, of who was closest to playoff position at that time in the standing. If, if you were within six games, then you got the invite um, of, of the playoff position. If you weren't, you did not. And it was kind of a way we go. But it was it was a grand experiment that was hatched by everybody from Commissioner Adam Silver to Disney CEO Bob Iger, Chris Paul at the time, the the head of the Players Union. Uh, You know, a lot of stories have been written and told about the way that those three guys were principal and getting this plan in place. Uh, But when it came time to living it, which is where I I do look forward to reflecting with you today, because, you know, you and I, we we had this kind of one-two punch experience in the bubble. You covered the first six weeks-ish uh, we, we spent a little time in there together and then, you know, I was on the back end, but, but my God, in my entire career covering basketball for a long time, I, I really don't think I'll ever have a more unique experience. And so we can start from the top, but, uh, you know, you, you were there first. So, you know, take us behind the curtain a little bit. How, how was the, the opening stretch for you? Looking back on it, uh, I always look at it fondly and I know in the 
when it was happening in the moment, uh, you know, in the present tense, I recognized, you know, the weirdness of it and the the difficulty of the schedule uh, of living, you know, of all the precautions we had to take for COVID, of the week in in uh, total quarantine inside your room, and we can get get into all that. And of course, there's like being away from your house and your family for however long. I think my actual tenure in the bubble was sixty days. And, um, LeBron basically, uh, threatening to go home, uh, was part of that was part of why I, my stay was extended a little bit longer. Um, but those were, those were all the, or at least some of the downsides, but, but the plus side was at that time in the world, everybody was locked inside their house. It was summertime. So you could, you felt kind of safe going outside maybe. Um, but you know, you weren't in no way really were you re-engaging with the world yet. And so I found that for us, if we were, once you got out of quarantine in the bubble, you were able to be around people that you call friends every day. Um, and you got to go to work, like actually go and, and, uh, and interact with, with people and, uh, even, you know, give them fist bumps and, and pats on the back. And, and so, so some human, human interaction that way, got to drink some wine together at night uh every single night uh that, that we were that we were there <laughs> um when the first wave went through the quarantine is they they you arrive at, at Disney at the resort that we were all staying Coronado Springs and they escort you to your room and you're wearing a mask of course everybody's wearing masks they escort you in there and then once you're in the room that's it. That's it. You, you're not going anywhere um, until you test negative for the next seven days. Producer Mike actually created a montage of the videos that I had produced for The Athletic and our Twitter and social media sites of what it was like every day in quarantine and then as time wore on in the bubble. So uh, this is pretty cool. Check this out. What's up, everyone? Joe Varden here in quarantine in the NBA bubble at Disney World. Still in my PJs. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Varden. It's Thursday here in quarantine in the NBA Disney bubble. Got something very, very important to show you today. My shoes. Hi, everybody. I'm Joe Varden with The Athletic here on day, I don't know, day whatever of my quarantine here at the Disney bubble. What's up, everyone? Joe Varden here. Still in quarantine. What I'm sure you guys all wanted to see is what it's like to pick up the food. So. We're opening my door. Now you see, there it is, it's on the ground. Okay, and now put it on the bed. I think this is like a veggie burrito, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it is. So that's actually probably the winner today is, uh, is the veggie burrito. Hi everybody, it's Joe Varden. And this is my last full day of quarantine here at the Disney bubble at two o'clock on Sunday, give or take. We're all let out, assuming that we continue to test negative for COVID. So a lot of exciting stuff to come, and the most exciting, freedom. Hello, everyone. Happy Sunday here from the NBA bubble. Today's the day, which means now I'm free. Now I'm going to do what I've been waiting to do all week, which is run outside. 
Done with my run. It's hot. I've toured the grounds here at Coronado Springs. There's actually not a whole lot that we can do. And I hope you have a good Sunday. <laughs> But man, what a time. You know, I feel like it's probably fitting to fast forward a little bit uh, toward, you know, because listen, the LeBron and the rest of the league tries to find their way during the late regular season within the bubble. And, and just to give the TikTok on the Lakers timeline, you know, they, they the, the entire league shuts down on, uh, you know, in mid-March, of course. Uh, they last play on March 10th. Lakers lose a game to Brooklyn. Uh, they reconvene on July 30th inside the bubble. And then from there, they're on their way. By the time I get there, and I would love to hear your your memory, you know, reflections on this because it was a historical moment within the NBA. By the time I get there, I am in quarantine. And, and like you alluded to, the bubble has already changed in the time that you've been there to when I got there. Uh, certain luxuries that were not afforded to the group on the first half were afforded to the group on the second half. But first, I had to get out of quarantine. So... I think it was day five of quarantine for me where uh, the entire bubble comes to a standstill because of the, the shooting of Jacob Blake by law enforcement in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the, you know, the historic players meeting that happened after that. Now, I'll tell you, Joe, that, as you know, a reporter's worst nightmare is to be on the grounds of something historic, something compelling, something incredibly interesting but and to be locked inside of a room and that is what i was faced with when it was day five of quarantine and it was driving me absolutely crazy i was already sick and tired of being within those closed walls and, and i'll you know these are first world problems but at the time i'm upset because the the windows in the hotels didn't actually open so you get no fresh air um you know i'm getting as restless as restless can be and on the outside the players uh, you know, all of them with some coaches involved are, are meeting at a nearby conference room to discuss whether or not this season is going to continue. You had very serious, you know, social issues happening. You had, you know, the shooting of this young man um, seemingly unjustly at the time and, and, uh, and a lot of anger and a lot of angst in that room and a lot of uncertainty about what they should do. Um, take us there a little bit. In the run up to that, um, like we, so we, we had a bubble. Everybody was in quarantine. Everybody had to go through it. You get out of it. Practice starts. And there's this novelty of basketball being back um, and people being on the court and us getting a chance to go back to work like I was talking about earlier. And it's everybody's happy about that. But as the days wore on and the scenery didn't change inside the bubble and the routine stayed the same you know you're getting tested you're eating a certain kind of food there started to be a little bit of a strain and you know the sort of the mental side of that started to take toll and then at the same time like we were already in this uh like you had mentioned this sort of cauldron uh as a country with social justice and issues of, of violence against unarmed African-Americans. It had happened a number of times. You know, of course, George Floyd had died that summer. And, and there was even a movement because of these things to not have a bubble. And, and, and that, you know, that, that's like actually kind of a, a LeBron entry point is Kyrie Irving and a couple other guys were pushing to not have a bubble. 
And, you know, there was some mild discussion about it amongst the players union. And, but finally, like, you know, everybody was kind of looking towards LeBron and, and Pat Bev said it best. It's one of my all time favorite quotes. He said, look, if LeBron's hooping, we're all hooping. And LeBron wanted to play in the bubble. So that's, you know, the, every, everything moved on as planned. But as, as things started to wear on and, um, you know, the, the temperature was rising on a, on a couple of things. Then we have the shooting that you mentioned, uh, of Jacob Blake, uh, in suburban, uh, Milwaukee. The weekday was in the first round of the playoffs. You know, for listeners at home, I was supposed to stay through the first round and Sam was supposed to pick us up uh, from the second round through the finals. And so it, the series is, uh, is it's it's Milwaukee, it's Orlando. So I, I go into the I get there, I go into the arena, I put my stuff down and I look at the scoreboard and there is like. 16 minutes left and the magic are on the floor the 16 minutes left until the supposed opening tip there's no milwaukee and i found that to be strange and so i'll never forget malika andrews of of espn and i we, we we had our stuff down at the same table both knew something was wrong i walked by the magic locker room some of their guys were still on the floor, but there was a strange look on some of the of the Orlando Magic personnel's faces. Um, and then I walked all the way by Bucks PR that that the Bucks aren't coming out. And then within ten to twenty minutes, every reporter who was not in quarantine, like the sort of the first wave of us, everybody was stationed outside this locker room, and the Bucks were stuck in there. They couldn't they couldn't leave. And what was crazy was the the bathroom uh, was outside of the locker room. So to pee, they actually had to go by us. And after about an hour and a half, that started to happen. Like there's all this drama. Like there's there's questions of of if of what's going to happen. You know, is the is the basketball season over? Is the experiment over? We can hear them through the wall. Um, talking amongst each other. We can hear like a public official. It turned out to be the lieutenant governor of the state of Wisconsin on speakerphone in there. Like we can hear all this stuff and it's really tense. And then in the meantime, like here comes Kyle Korver, here comes George Hill out to take a pee. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was why they just walk by awkwardly and try not they, to engage with anybody. Did. And, and you know, the job, um, you know, the job, it, it, it requires you have to, shout a question and and when they were going to pee it was a little bit more relaxed it was like listen these guys are just going to the bathroom leave them alone fine but i i don't remember how long we were out there but i think it was three plus hours and then they finally okay so the game had been called off the bucks had had held up long after there uh, after that um the game had been canceled and like they had as you had mentioned they had had this meeting set in the ballroom but they wanted to make a statement first. So the whole team comes out and they they read a statement and they say no questions. And of course, like you have to shout something. So I shouted a question about is the, you know, like, are you um, considering canceling the season? That kind of thing. And it turned into, you know, an, an eight hour ordeal uh, stuck at the like outside the Bucks locker room in the arena. Incredible, incredible, and and from there, I would say, you know, how did they get to the boardroom? I think it's late that night, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. My recollection is 
that you had the Bucks driving this ship. You had George Hill in particular having a lot to do uh, and probably being the most prominent voice with the choice not to play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those were kind of the later accounts. But as we kind of have a six degrees of LeBron aspect to this conversation, one thing that I thought we were reminded of in that situation is that LeBron is, you know, and has been for a long time, the number one player in the NBA when it comes to influence. And it's not necessarily the GOAT discussion or resume discussion. We're just talking about juice and clout and voice and presence. And LeBron has been number one. And so when it was not LeBron making the choice to not play a game, it felt almost as if there was a sense of like, all right, what does LeBron think? And, you know, how are we going to now reconcile what the Bucks chose to do with what LeBron you know, at all want to do in this bubble. And and that I think was a a huge part of the discussion in the meeting. Yes, it was. It was, um, that was basically the main thing. And LeBron, you know, we said a couple minutes ago that if LeBron's hooping, we all hooping. Well, when they went into that meeting, LeBron was furious and he was upset with the Milwaukee Bucks. He was upset because at least his stated reason was that the Bucks did this almost on a whim. Um, there had been talk throughout the last the pre the previous couple of days about maybe the Raptors were thinking about doing something like like some sort of protest. Um, there were a, there were a couple of teams. The Celtics were one that you know, uh, like maybe Jalen Brown, I think. Um, that there, there were a couple of teams that were talking about this. Kyle Lowry still played for the Raptors at the time. Um, you know, Doc Rivers and Paul George had had, had had some tough moments, um, just with some of these thoughts, but nobody did it. There was no protest. There was no, so there, there was no coordination with the players association. There was no, there was nothing. Um, the league had no heads up and certainly like other players, um, didn't know that the Bucks were going to do this. And they decided basically in the locker room um, moments before the game, because they were there. They they had gone through their warm-up. Giannis had done his warm-up that day. Um, they decided not to play. And LeBron was furious about this because he said that, that this decision was made um, on a whim and that there was no planning. There was no, like when you do something like this and you actually disrupt um, a game and a season and particularly this one, the way they, that, that they had, you don't just show up again. You don't just walk back out there and play like all the games had been canceled. And LeBron was like, there is no plan um, to just start back and playing. And, and there is nothing like the, like the, what can be gained by what you did. And people didn't have an answer for that. And so he was ready to go home. Um, and he voted along with the majority of the Lakers and I believe the Clippers, um, to actually, that's it, uh, that, that, that they were going to go home, uh, and cancel the season. And, uh, they were the only two teams to do that, but all it takes is one. (laughs) The playoffs had begun. I mean, I guess you could say, you could have said, um, well, the Lakers forfeit their playoff series, I guess, but that, that didn't seem to be in, in the cards. It was these two teams had voted to go home, but the, the, the vote or sort of the, any action was tabled. And overnight, um, Chris Paul and I think some other powers that be got LeBron on the phone with Barack Obama. 
and 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 the former president who knows LeBron well um basically was like no LeBron like you you have you actually have an opportunity here because of this protest to get something that you want for from the owners and the other thing that we hadn't we haven't really mentioned yet Sam like the, this this all plays into what was happening at the time is the players were already like they were taking a knee before the national anthem and they were wearing t-shirts uh, as warm-up shirts before every game that said black lives matter and post game they were um either being asked about and if they weren't they were demanding to talk about some social show, uh social justice issues uh i believe brianna taylor i, I believe that was one of them where they, they kept saying justice for her so so like they were doing this and they felt like their reach was only getting so far and um and so what the pre- the former president says was you have an opportunity the the owners are listening to you in a way that they that they probably never have before you can get them to do some things and so lebron like they came back the next day there was a meeting um between you know the league office and who of course represents the owners and and some of these players and like these demands were 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 brought up and 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 one of the main ones was um the creation of a social justice coalition which basically is the owners pay for it uh pay for um to lobby for things that the players want politically whether it's at, in Congress in, uh, or the White House or at the state level. And um, and so that was a major concession that LeBron and Chris Paul and others, but but because LeBron was threatening to go home, uh, LeBron uh, was able to to squeeze out of this. And and so that that was like one of the main things of uh, a condition of returning to play. Right. As an aside to that, just a different lens, um, I mentioned it earlier. So I'm still in quarantine at that time, Joe, but beyond me and more importantly, two of my neighbors are high-ranking NBA front office executives. So uh, two doors to my right, uh, I had Tim Conley, who at the time was running the Denver Nuggets at the, as the head of their front office. And then one door to my left, I had Mike Zarin, who uh, for a long time has been second in command for the Boston Celtics front office. And in between us, naturally, is our Sham Sharania. <laughs> he, was, he was to the right. So we, I, I mentioned earlier the angst and, and the anxiety that came with quarantine. Well, now you add in the volatility of the players meeting where we now don't even know was, you know, are, are we done here? Is this a wrap? Um, and, and the part where you talked about the rules of quarantine, you talked about all the restrictions, uh, night number five of seven nights of quarantine, I end up getting uh, a message. I'm going to code some of this language that the statute of limitations is mostly up, but I don't need to put everything out there. Um, the three of us, Conley, Zarin, and myself, Shams, you know, because he's a maniac who works on his phone all the time, declined. He stayed in his room and, and, and grinded out. The three of us decided that this was all so dramatic uh, and, and it was just a little bit much to take from within the solitude of your quarantine hotel room that the three of us were going to breach the rules and sit on our own front porches uh, and and, sh- and not share a glass of wine or share a bottle of wine, but have our own and be essentially 15, 20 feet apart from one another. But the, the main motive, to be honest, was to just 
convene as humans and people and guys who do similar jobs in the same space or, you know, different jobs, but in the same ecosystem to just figure out what the hell was going on. And, and I got to tell you as a reporter, I remember in that moment thinking to myself, like, all right, not trying to get in trouble, but, um, at the end of the day, I'm a journalist who's trying to cover what's happening out here. And here are two guys who have a major part in running two of the league's 30 organizations. And in real time, they are trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Where is all of this going? Um, you have their own individual situations like Tim, as another aside, uh, Tim had actually left the bubble in order to handle some business. Uh, and then came back. And because of that, he was now quarantining for a second time. So, you, you know, you couldn't blame him for feeling like, oh, boy, you know, maybe I did the quarantine for nothing. Um, you know, is this a wrap? Same thing with Mike trying to figure out the Celtics had a good team. Are we still playing ball? Are we not? And and to kind of live that with those guys is a memory that I'll certainly never forget because, you know, I'm trying to get in touch with people um, on my phone, they're getting in touch with people on their phones. We're sharing information all along the way. But the truth is, for most of that time, we didn't have a clue. And, and, and everybody was obviously on the edge of their seats just waiting to see what the players ultimately decided to do. The one thing that you knew was is that there would be no basketball the next day. You knew that. You knew that there would be no practice. You knew there'd be no games. You were starting to get the feeling that maybe – we might have a res uh, a resumption of play at, at some point, but there there was this feeling where for at least we know that there is an off day tomorrow, and so everybody involved was uh, was outside in this just giant party. Uh, the writers like like we had accumulated like numerous bottles of wine on uh, as many tables <laughs> as we can amounts. pull together like yeah. like by the water and lebron comes riding up on a bicycle he's just riding his bike along the the path uh outside in between their hotel and, and ours it was it was all in the, in the same complex and he of course you know we know each other well and and he knows the the other people at at, at the party and he and he he stops his bike for a second and i go hey like LeBron, like, come on over. And he's like, what do you have? And I'm like, we have more wine than we know what to do with. Like when, when would we get a chance to like sit down and have some wine? And he just says, you got any tequila? And we're all looking at each other like, well, shit, we have <laughs> 35 bottles of wine, but no, we do not have tequila. And I'm like, no, there's no tequila. So he's like, nah, man, I'm just drinking tequila tonight. And he gets on his bike and he turns around and somebody opens the doors for him. And you just watch LeBron ride his bike down through the hallway of the hotel. Like you would never see this. You would never see this again. He's just pedaling as fast as he can through the hallway of the hotel and like disappeared into the night. But um, so that was the closest we came to uh, to, to actually um, sipping wine together d uh, during the bubble. Well, in that same vein, Joe, when the Lakers win the West finals over the nuggets in five games. Um, you know, now they're on their way. Now they're pushing for a championship and they're playing really, really well. And honestly, in terms of quick basketball commentary, yeah, I, I think LeBron's maturity and his kind of, you know, I don't know what else to call it other than like the old man factor that he had in a good way in the bubble. 
I think was a, a big time X factor for the Lakers because he had this ability to uh, mentally lock in, emotionally lock in, to compartmentalize the frustrations that came with the bubble and to play really high level basketball. And so now they're cooking and he's playing well and they beat the Nuggets. And long after game five is over, I am writing my story like I would on most nights next to the lake in the middle of the bubble. Yeah. Um, you know, nearby to paint the picture, you have uh, a, a long wooden bridge that leads out to a place called Three Bridges. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, there were three of them total that all went to the same spot, this restaurant that we were always jealous because players could go there, executives could go there, NBA personnel could go to the Three Bridges restaurant in the middle of the lake, but we were not allowed. And so we would, you know, the, the peasants, if you will, <laughs> would sit on the outside uh, writing our stories, drinking our wine in the dark of night, and honestly, like incredibly late nights where you are trying to get your story done and then you're unwinding a little bit after that. I had seen LeBron go into the Three Bridges, I think around 1 a.m., after the game and the way that he entered was in true kind of grandiose LeBron style. He's on the bicycle and he crosses the bridge. And, and I remember what struck me was that, you know, you could almost envision this, you know, 10 or 11 or 12 year old LeBron riding his bike through the streets of, of your hometown, Akron, Joe. And there was this childlike quality to seeing him on a bike that was kind of neat to be honest with you. And he crosses the bridge and, and uh, the rest of the Lakers were already in the restaurant, like coaches, players, everybody's there. You know, it was kind of like save the best for last. Here comes LeBron. And he gets off the bike and he parks it against the wall like we did back when we were in junior high and then starts walking into the three bridges. And mainly because of, you know, thanks to the acoustics of of water where you can hear everything, like everything from the three bridges would bounce over the lake and you could hear conversations happening over there and man lebron walks in and the cheers go crazy everybody goes wild they're they're just kind of honoring his his uh, arrival and then they it was like a wedding or something they start chanting speech 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 you know and i couldn't make out what he said but he said something to the group and they were on cloud nine you know and that's where for all the frustrations of the bubble and and you even hear guys to this day you know during these latest nba finals contavious caldwell pope you know, who was on that Lakers team, you know, he, he reflected very negatively on the bubble, you know, for all of the negative stuff that came with it, there were these moments that you look back on and think, you know, like those humans, those people, um, you know, I, I doubt they would kind of trade that for anything. Uh, you know, that night they had gotten into the finals that night, LeBron had kind of reestablished, you know, a lot of his dominance and was on his way. Um, and, and they were putting a special thing together. We'll be back to more with Sam and Joe in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. I would not give back my bubble experience for anything. Like I, I would not, I would not trade it um, for anything. Uh, as far as my career goes, it's certainly, certainly a highlight. And and I think, I mean, you know, there were only, I, you know, I don't know what the final count was, but there weren't that many of us. And so I think like even just getting a chance to be a part of just that small group of, of reporters who got to do that. Um, but then just the life itself, man. I mean, like, it, you know, the, there were a couple of people who were in the bubble who were beat writers, but they all happened to be covering just the Lakers. 
um, the rest of us, we had this, we were in this weird spot where we were national reporters, you are, I am, but considering there are no beat reporters around, like you, you are, you feel like your beat is the bubble. So you don't want to miss anything. Um, you, you would occasionally have to make decisions to give yourself some rest. But the thing that you knew you could not do is you could not miss a Laker game. You can't. You, you absolutely cannot because they have LeBron. <laughs> and, and, and the, um, and so every night they would play. They would never play the early game. The Lakers were always the last game or, or at minimum, they were, you know, in the eight to nine slot at minimum. Um, if they were not the last game. And so the, the, the situation would be, you would go and you would cover that game and it would be late. And by the time you got out of there, like you'd get to the, you'd get to the, to the hotel and you would set up outside and you would finish your story. And now it's one or it's two or it's two thirty and you're wired. And so now is when you start, uh, trying to unwind with a glass of wine or two or, or three or whatever. Um, and now it's three. You sound like LeBron in the Miami days. Not three, not four, <laughs> not five. <laughs> you finish your Laker coverage at two. Uh, you have your one to three and a half glasses of wine. It's 3.30 now. Uh, so you get about a two-hour nap before you're stuffing your face with an Uncrustable and like, you know, <laughs> like wiping the sleep out of your eyes as you're walking to the bus in the dark to, to, to catch to, to go to the tea. Um, but we're almost, we're almost ready to hand this off. Uh, and like, then of course, like you would speak to, you know, the championship and how it was at the end. Um, but the, like one of the last things I did was I talked to LeBron, um, one-on-one a day or a few days after this happened that, um, like once the protest happened and the season got delayed and then it restarted, like the decision was made, um, that I would stay through the end of that which was an which was like another at least another week and like it it pushed my day total to to 60 um but but i had this conversation with lebron and and the, the to back up for just a minute about this at least i found that the access and the proximity to the players was almost unlike anything i had ever seen um in my long career of 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 being in newspapers and media um just because we were all in the same places and there was no one around but us. So like, no, we weren't allowed in a locker room. Um, they were barely in there themselves, but, but the, the seats that we had, um, that you could just hear things that you would never be able to hear in an, in an arena and like the bumping into these guys in the hallway and just being able to talk to them, like even at the, at the hotel, like the, that is not how the NBA is really that that's not how our jobs are set up. Certainly not like hotel life and not being able to hear what no one else can hear, things like that. And, and so, so I had enjoyed five and or six weeks or seven weeks or whatever it was of that. And I was nearing the end. Um, like I remember I had written one story where I just said, you know what, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write down everything that LeBron says during a game and just write about it. Just write what he says, um, when there isn't the din of the, uh, of, of the arena, like just drowning out everything. Um, 
And so I finally had the, a chance to talk to him uh, about the protest and his leaving. And, and we just, he was able to explain through me, like why he did what he did and it kind of set and, um, and what brought him back. And then he made this pledge in the story that he would come correct uh, for the Lakers and for his teammates and for the Laker fans. And that like, yeah, his mind was one place. He was ready to leave, but now that he's decided to stay, he promised that he would stay and make the most of it. He did that. I mean, he did that. And then some, uh, the man played some incredible basketball during that stretch. We all know kind of what happened from there. Jimmy Butler and, and those Miami heat gave it a good go, but but the Lakers win it, Joe. And, uh, you know, again, we're trying to share a lot of the color and the behind-the-scenes stuff from that experience. Um, the the final late-night post-game, you know, for me of whatever it was, that six, seven-week stretch, of course, is is when the Lakers uh, take down the Heat in game six. You know, 106-93 win. LeBron leads the way, scoring with 28 points. Uh, the, you know, the confetti falls, I remember, up in the second level of the rafters in the arena you know lakers owner genie bus was not in the tier one bubble uh there were essentially two bubbles as you know we were in you know tier one access and then you had an outside bubble where there were a lot of precautions being taken but those people could not interact with people within our space and so genie's in the second deck celebrating uh but then when the championship happens then all now all bets are off. Now the owner's coming down to the court. Rachel Nichols is is handing out trophies and interviewing players, and and we get to to go do what we do and try to chronicle it. Uh, but by the time the stories are filed and we're back in the bubble, uh, you know, and and the partying is starting all over the place. You have the Lakers doing their thing at Three Bridges, uh, having a great time. I think you probably had a handful of media members who found their way over there, even if they weren't supposed to. Um, and then to the league's credit, and I don't know exactly who gets credit for this, but they had kind of spread word amongst the media that there would be an end of bubble shindig that everybody was invited to. Now, officially, uh, in, in my 45 years on this planet, I feel somewhat confident saying that the only party I've attended where like the location was, was if, if there was an invitation, it literally just would have said, you know, Lake Buena Vista, um, Coronado Resorts parking lot. Like we were out on the concrete, uh, but man, it, for a parking lot party, it was pretty sweet. They had music, they had DJs, they had food, they had drinks. And, uh, and I remember, you know, writing my story and like always we try to do, you know, do it justice. Right. So you're sitting there going, all right, you're not cutting the story short, uh, story short rather just to go check out this scene. But I got to admit I had some FOMO because like I'm sitting there riding by the lake and I'm trying to focus and lock in and remember every detail that I want to chronicle and include and, and make sure that I, I feel good about my work, but I can literally hear, you know, off in the distance, you know, like the, the beating of the bass and the, oomsh, 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 like <laughs> it's like there's a party going on and I'm over here and they're over there and eventually go join the kind of the masses. Uh, I have vivid memories. And, and in fact, a picture on my phone to this day of uh, NBA TV and TNT's Jared Greenberg uh, was getting after it. Uh, and, and at that point I go to say hi to Jared and he is carrying, uh, there is a, like an eight foot 
cardboard cutout of an NBA trophy that was put at the party as like, you know, table decorations essentially. And Jared just decided that this was his for the taking. And he's walking around the party with that puppy underneath his armpit, you know, and, and might've had a few drinks in him at that time. Uh, I remember our friend, uh, uh, Kyle Goon at the time, the Orange County Register, and, uh, and now working for the Baltimore Banner. Kyle had been covering the Lakers, and Kyle did the whole bubble. And as you know, Joe, he was exhausted. He did great work. Give him a lot of credit. And, uh, and another hilarious memory for me is, you know, the party had eventually moved from the parking lot over to the pool, right? One of the pools that was there. And uh, as everybody's hanging out, uh, pretty late. I mean, we're probably talking three thirty-four in the morning at this point. Um, all of a sudden, uh, ESPN China reporter Betty Zhu, the always kind and talented Betty Zhu, she she calls over to me and and says she's calling that that there's something wrong with Kyle, and uh, and she's concerned and she's kind of trying to get my attention, and I look over into the pool and Kyle uh, is face down in the pool and she's not feeling good about this. Now I understand why, but I know Kyle very well and I'm pretty confident that he's playing a little bit of a prank here. And, and after about three seconds, Kyle pops out of the pool and thinks he's hilarious and says, ah, just kidding. You know, and like <laughs> Betty was terrified. Betty thought something happened, but like there was an absolute like blowing off of steam component that came with that night. There was a finish line for everybody and that really not to be corny but that was uh one of the the most unique qualities of the bubble was uh and you hit on it earlier is that the proximity between the players and the reporters and the staffers and the league officials you know everybody was in such a tight space that it almost didn't matter uh you know whether you were uh shooting threes or dunking the ball or writing stories or setting up logistics at the arena or helping the media do their jobs as somebody in PR, uh, everybody, there was a thread that connected everyone. And that night was actually a lot of fun because uh, you could kind of feel that where it was like, all right, now we don't really know what's on the other side of saying goodbye to the bubble. COVID certainly wasn't over. Um, a lot of, you know, uh, you had the social justice landscape that that was still as as hot as ever at that time. And, uh, and, and so there was a little bit of a, all right, let's soak this in and, and just uh, wait and see what happens tomorrow. I, as we've been talking, it popped into my head that, you know, it's this totally once in a history of the world type thing that happens. And we're talking about all these experiences that we've had and everything that we saw and witnessed. Of course, the champion in, in, an, in a bubble environment was the LeBron James team. Like, of, of course that happened, like something so unique and so different that the champion ended up being him and his team. And, you know, we're talking like we've got this, this player is so transcendent that he is worth an 11 day podcast series and in, in which we won't even get to all the, the things that you could get to talking about him. Um, and so, and one of them is that he happens to win a title in the bubble. And so this is something people talk about, like, how do you value or rate or rank the bubble title as compared to other titles? No, I love the question. I'm glad you took it there. Uh, I am a hundred percent firmly entrenched in the camp that it says this title is worth as much, if not more than any other title. And I don't really, it's going to sound kind of arrogant. I don't really care when anybody thinks who wasn't in the bubble. You know what I mean? Because the one thing LeBron and I have in common, if nothing else, is I know what it was like to 
wake up in the morning and be concerned about whether or not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, whether or not if I jump on a bicycle and I take a left turn when I was supposed to take a right and I cross a certain line uh, and I get seen by a member of security, if I'm now under quarantine for another seven days because that happened to an NBA staffer, Rashawn Holmes tried to get Uber Eats and, you know, walked a little too far, got back in quarantine. Uh, You know, we know the Lou Williams story when he got excused to go to a funeral, but then, you know, made his way to magic city. There was a bunch of stories like that. And, and I, I told this story earlier, Joe, like, I mean, I legitimately, again, it's all's well that ends well, but I got fairly close to getting booted out of the bubble because of our quarantine breach during that time. Um, and I only highlight that to say that that was the unique challenge of just living in the bubble. And then from a basketball standpoint, here's all I care about. Giannis Antetokounmpo has since talked about this openly. He gave serious consideration to heading for the exits and leaving the bubble. From a mental health standpoint, uh, it put a strain on everybody who was there. And LeBron kind of cut through all that, uh, even with the concerns he had about you know the way things were handled in the shutdown. You know they navigated those waters, uh, and when he got on that court. He was incredibly locked in. And listen, Anthony Davis, give him his flowers. He was locked in as well. He played, you know, arguably the best basketball of his career mm-hmm. during that championship stretch. And, and I don't think that's because there were no fans or because, uh, you know, like they could focus. No, I think the focus was harder to come by in there. Now the travel, like, sure, nobody traveled. Their bodies were fresher. That was an advantage. But guess what? It was an advantage for everybody. Did it help a guy who was in his mid-30s at the time? No question. But, um, you know, you saw so many high-level star players. I don't know how else to put it other than, like, wilt under that pressure. The Clippers come to mind. Like, my God, watching Paul George shoot that infamous three off the side of the backboard uh, in the playoffs is something the likes of which uh, I'll never see again, you know, against Denver when they blew that 3-1 lead. You know, this was the big bad Clippers who had been coming for the Lakers next, who, you know, poked fun at LeBron for the glitz and the glamour of the Laker brand and spotlights, your streetlights over spotlights, that whole mentality. And guess what? When push came to shove, they didn't get the job done. You know, the Nuggets were still on the come up. I don't really, you know, kind of look at them sideways at all for not advancing. The Lakers were just a better team in that series. But, you know, the list could go on from there. Um, LeBron led the way, and uh, and I guess I'll cap it with one last kind of visual memory, and this was all over social media at the time, but certainly different to see this from four or five feet away. You know, outside the Laker locker room after the championship, um, obviously champagne flowing. I remember Kyle Kuzma was just going crazy, you know, just spraying champagne everywhere. But LeBron removes himself from the locker room and grabs his cell phone and he calls his wife Savannah and he calls his mom Gloria uh, and he ends up FaceTiming and, and by the time I got to him with reporters all around him uh, he's laying on his back cigar in his mouth legs crossed uh, FaceTiming you know he's, he's got the phone above him as he lays square on the ground and he's talking to his mother and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, and I wrote it at the time. He just said, he said, mom, this, this ain't bad for, you know, a kid from Akron. You know, we, we came a long way and he, it was neat because he made it about them. It was, we did this, we did that. Uh, and he really just was telling his mom, thanks. This wasn't 
obviously his first championship, but you could tell how special it was for him to get one in LA, get one, you know, within the adversity of the bubble, get one with his third franchise in, in his storied career. And, and he was a happy dude. And, and, uh, that was fun to watch and, and they got the job done. You know, you hit on, you hit on everything there. I mean, you hit on the, you know, Anthony Davis and, you know, how, how well he shot the ball, and you, you know, you can make an argument about, well, it's because there weren't people behind the basket, um, or you're shooting at the same two baskets every day. Um, you brought up the travel thing, uh, which of course would help LeBron. He had to make one flight in three months. Um, but you also said, which is true, is that those were the circumstances for everybody involved. Um, the, the season that stopped in March, I mean, that season was, that season ended in March and the regular flow of things, like just how the NBA works, that stopped. Um, so when everybody came to the bubble, they were all on the same footing. They all had played by the same rules. And, um, and I just think that anybody who lived it the way that we did, even, uh, without putting on, you know, high tops and going out and playing, would would never question the validity of, of of that title just because of what it was like to live there, um, and I thank you like for sharing all that stuff that you did because I, I just think I mean that really tied a bow around this and um, I just you know I, I could talk about the bubble for hours uh, and so you know I, I appreciate I appreciate uh, getting a chance to chop it up with you today. Of course, Joe. Uh, lastly, for me, just because we work in an industry where I think, by and large, everybody tries to have a high level of camaraderie, I, I feel like we should mention uh, a friend that we lost who was in the bubble. Uh, the late great Seku Smith, you know, was a, a close friend of mine, and so many others. And you know, I think about all the days of seeing Seku jump on a bike, and and he used to kind of ride around the property to have a good time, and he'd get hot take his shirt off every once in a while. Although not like Chris Haynes, Haynes never had a shirt on, but, <laughs> and Sekou, I learned this later that, that, uh, allegedly Sekou would, would never wear the same undershirt twice. Like the man literally just bought endless streams of undershirts <laughs> to keep himself fresh. Uh, but he was such a gentle spirit and, and is such a massive loss. And that's somebody who, you know, was in there like the rest of us, uh, chronicling this incredible landscape. In the next episode, LeBron is the NBA's all-time scoring leader, a four-time NBA champion, easily one of the greatest players of all time. But what he's doing for families in his hometown of Akron may be his greatest accomplishment. Rob Peterson is the editorial supervisor and creator of A King's Reign. Joe Varden is the consulting producer. Kent Garrison is the theme music composer. Reporting for the series was provided by the Athletic NBA staff. Andrew Schlecht is the host of the series. Matt Havia and Mike Smeltz are the executive producers.